Hello, my name is Matthew Dickin, and I will be having a conversation with Genevieve Tatum for the New York City Trans Oral History Project in collaboration with the New York Public Library's Community Oral History Project. This is an oral history project centered on the experiences of trans-identifying people. Today is June 22nd, 2007, excuse me, 2017, uh, and this is being recorded at SAGE uh, in Midtown Manhattan. Do you want to start off to, by telling me your name and if you'd like your age? I'm Genevieve Tatum and I'm 68 years of age. And what are your gender pronouns? She. She, her. How would you describe your gender? Uh, transgender. Uh, yeah, transgender, I'd say. <laughs> Stay with that, yeah. And when and where were you born? Staten Island, New York, yeah, 1948. I didn't know you were a New Yorker, actually. Mm, yeah, I'm a lifelong New Yorker. Lifelong, yeah. Born, where? raised, educated, everything. Yeah. 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 Where in Staten Island were you born? Um, Castleton Corners. I think that was the uh, section I was in. Then I lived in um, New Brighton, I believe. Then when I was nine, I moved to Brooklyn, mm. where I spent much of my life. Mm. Yeah. Where in Brooklyn? I lived in Midwood, Coney Island, Flatbush, Crown Heights, Bed-Stuy, and those neighborhoods I lived in. Sure. Mm. And you said you moved to Brooklyn when you were nine? Nine years old, yeah. Yeah. Mm. What was your childhood like, or your family? We had a good childhood, a very good childhood, you know, we were a normal, you know, normal family, you know, we. I had a younger brother and a sister. You know, we did every we did things together. You know, we went to school, went to the same school, great school. Uh, went to different high schools. You know, but you know, we were pretty always pretty much together. We were always close. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you've now been living in Washington Heights, is mm -hmm. that right? Yes. How long have you been uptown? Uh, six years. Six years. Six years now. Yeah. Yeah. How would you say, as a lifelong New Yorker, the city or individual neighborhoods have, have changed over the years? Uh, yeah, gentrification, you know, you, you know, I remember during the, like, from the mid-70s, maybe to the early 90s, mm. you know, you had that drug and the crack epidemic, and it was, it was kind of wild, <laughs> a little crazy, mm. but You've seen more businesses come in, you know. Some some neighborhoods are being really run down and but you had people who came in, shops, you know, they created businesses, art museums, shops, you know, eateries, mm. things like that, you know, then people started coming back to these some of the neighborhoods. Um, I used to hang out in the village. You know, Greenwich Village and East Village in particular, you know. I, Remember what East Village was like Dodge City, <laughs> you know, drug deals on every corner. It, it, it was it was wild back then, you know. But in the late seventies, early eighties, it slowly began to change, and the city actually changed. You know, changed. I think maybe by the early nineties, I think things really kind of, you could say things were, were fine now, were much better. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember, or what was what it was like when you first were growing up here, or when you started going to the village? I started going to the village. I believe it was nineteen sixty-eight. I was nineteen years old. Sure. Now I've always been attracted to it for some reason. You know, always been because it was different. It was like mm. things that were a little bit different, or maybe outside the norm. You know, it, just something about it attracted me. You know, we had music. You had um, people who were. I guess different from what the norm was at that time, but they were interesting. You know, some of them were quite interesting. You know, I used to hit, hang out in Washington Square Park. You know, listen to all the same. It was a big thing on Saturday. Saturday and Sunday was always a big thing, and I used to go there. Mm -hmm. I liked to listen. I just, I just felt such a part of it. You know, I didn't 
participating a lot of the, you know, some of the other stuff, <laughs> some of the other stuff, you know, I left it alone, but I just, I just enjoyed being in the atmosphere, you know, and it was, it was a, it was a really cool vibe, I found. What kind of people were you listening to? Were they musicians, poets? Well, they were musicians, you had poets, um, a lot of or orators, you know, during the time I was there, the Vietnam War was raging, and so you had a lot of protests. Um, you had orators. You had um, people who presented plays or shared their stories. You know, it was kind of like a potpourri of so many things. Yeah, it was kind of exciting, you know. And you had people from all walks of life coming there. You know, people who lived nearby, people who were pretty. You know, well, you know, up there, well to do, you know, and you had street people and everything. So it's kind of really a mixed bag of everything. What do you miss most about the way it used to be? Uh, the spirit is still there, but at times I kind of wonder if that spirit will be lost. I don't believe that it will be because I've always think that part has always been a part of the village. It's always been, you know, a part of the history of the village. You know, it goes back to the 50s. Well, maybe even back then, maybe even the 30s. You know, it was kind of a Bohemian neighborhood. And as time went on, the park became a part of it. And I don't think this, I don't think it'll ever be lost, you know, because I just think a lot of things that happened were life-changing. You know, you have people that come protest. People still protest there, not mm. even. They cleaned it, cleaned it up a lot. They cleaned it up a lot, but the spirit's still there. You know, it's still there. And I don't think it'll ever be lost, even though the neighborhood around has changed a bit. Yeah. Were there particularly great characters or or interesting people that you remember from that era? The 70s or 80s in Washington Square Park? I remember the musicians in particular, you know, they just come together, you know, guitars, mongos, whatever <laughs> instrument they had, you know, banjos, you know, and just, they just played. It's always been a part of that, it's always been a part of that Washington Square Park, and I, just people just coming in, just living life, enjoying life, you know. You know, people just come wherever they came from, you know, maybe kind of a respite from the normal everyday life I looked at it it was it was a really wonderful time I really enjoyed that time yeah and how was it different than other neighborhoods in that moment to once you entered the park a little bit outside I just think it's just kind of outside outside the norm really you know most neighborhoods I guess are more conservative if you want to put it for lack of a better word you know straight lace and everything but People could go down there, you know. You could, you could be who you are. You could go whatever, whatever who you want to. One thing I loved about that time is you had many people of different races, and I loved that. You know, and then I saw people of different genders. You know, you know, you had gay, lesbian, you know, um, street queens, all that. You know, I, I really enjoyed that. I said, wow, you know, I just, I just kind of. I was really absorbed by all that. You know, you have these so many different kinds of people in this one area, and nobody really cares who you are. You know, you're just one big happy family. You know, and I just love that. I just love that. And that's that's the part I always remember about it. I think maybe that's the part I. You still see it. You still see it now, but I think not as much as you used to, but you still see it. But I think back then, that's what I remember the most about it. Yeah. Were there great stories or legends that you learned about the park or different communities that showed up there when you were a young person visiting? Mm. Well, I remember when Stonewall happened about a year later, I remember that. And I didn't know a lot about the people back then because I was... I attended junior college out in Long Island, so I didn't, and I didn't hang out as much 
then, you know, it was the summer I did, you know, and then whenever I came to the city, I did. Later on, I did find out about people like Marshall P. Johnson and mm-hmm. Sylvia Rivera, you know, that they were around. <laughs> I'm a contemporary of them, you know, that was the thing. I, I didn't find out the years later that I, I mean, you say, wow, we, hey, maybe we crossed paths. It seems that way with me. I always cross paths and I don't even know it. I find out years later that they say, oh, you were there? I say, oh, oh, I didn't know. I say, oh, okay. <laughs> but a lot of cases in my life, I met people, we were cross paths and years later we met. <laughs> I remember one gentleman I met, you know, he came to the city 1971. I had left in the military in 1971. And he was in another city about the time either I left or I, he left, I came. And um, when he passed, you know, I, I, you know, his memorial said, you know, finally after 35 years, we caught up to each other. Mm-hmm. You know, we were, we were wonderful friends, you know, we were good friends, yeah. You left in seventy one, you said? Yeah, in the military. I was in the military yeah. service, yeah. 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 And but you had crossed paths first in the in the village and Washington. Yeah, Square I was Park. in the village sixty eight in yeah. nineteen sixty eight. Yeah. Yeah. What is your earliest memory? Hmm. Of the village? Or well, either way. Oh boy. What comes to mind? I actually didn't know much about the village until I actually started there. Started hanging out there. Then as time has gone on, I started to read the history of the village. You know, people who lived there. Um, I remember um, big theater, Fillmore East. Mm-hmm. Had all the big musical acts that came there. Jimi Hendrix, The Doors, Janis Joplin, um, Allman Brothers, you know, all the big acts came there. Mm. You know, things were kind of cheap, you know, you could get orchestra streets for five bucks. <laughs> now forget mm-hmm. it. <laughs> now you can't have, you know, you take out a small mortgage <laughs> just to go to orchestra seats. <laughs> but it was, you know, you saw all the big acts, you had a lot of small clubs like the Village Gate, Blue Note came. The Blue Note was there, jazz, jazz, and you had um, Electric Circus on St. Mark's Place. Yeah, Cheap Eats. You know, I could bring a dollar. You could bring a dollar, you could get a couple of dogs, you know, French fries or something to drink. You still had change left over. So you didn't need a lot of money. Mm. You didn't need it. But everybody was just enjoying everybody. You know, you just, you know, you, then you listen to some of the conversations and the peace movement was a big thing that you just listen to the conversations, you know, you know, talk to perfect strangers, you know, just, you know, just kind of a good old time, really. Mm. You know? And people came from all over, I mean, all over the country, you know, to be here, California, some came from the Midwest, South, everywhere, New England, everywhere. Did it feel like community? It did. It really did because nobody really cared who you were or where you came from. You know, and one thing I noted about, you know, I wasn't in tune with gender at that time, but I did notice that nobody really cared about it. You know, it's just that, you know, this is you, you know, we, you know, we're glad you're here, you know. We don't care who you are, you know, just be, just be who you are. That's the way I kind of took it. And were there people that you knew then that you still know now, or have your communities shifted? No, it, um, no, actually, I was away for three years in the military, so, you know, a lot of them changed, a lot of things changed. Well, the whole country changed. At that time, you know, 71, I call 1971 kind of like the last hurrah mm. at that time because by 74, the country was more conservative. 
And it's something my mother had told me, you know, you know, the country will be different when you get out of the service. You know, she told me that shortly before I left. And it was, and it was quite different. I found it quite different. Yeah. But and that was a great piece of advice she gave me. Wow. Yeah. What was she like? My mother was warm. She she was kind of my rock during the hard time in my life. Because my, we having troubles, my father was having problems with alcohol, you know. I was going through my changes, you know, I was a young teen, you know, teenage, you know, early 20s, you know, trying to find out where I fit in, so. It was kind of a tumultuous time in the family, me personally. I think going to the military was maybe the best thing for me to get away, get away from all this stuff. Because I think it started to affect me a bit. Now I was getting angry, frustrated, didn't know what I wanted out of life. So me just leaving, just leaving the whole scene was just, I would miss the village, you know, there's no question about that. But sometimes you just have to get away from things just to kind of get a clearer picture, you know, of where, where your life is. And the village had changed when you were back, would you say? It changed. Um, it changed some, you know, it didn't change all at once, but because you still had the remnants of, even when I got out of service, you still had the remnants of times when I was, you know, when I hung out there. But it slow, it, you know, it slowly changed, yeah. It, it didn't totally go the other way because you still had that spirit, you know, that spirit was there back then, it's still here, mm. even now, I would say now. Mm. It did change, yes. Mm. What communities do you identify with now, or would you say you're a part of now? Well, of course, the transgender community, the LGBT. Um, uh, my church is accepting and affirming. You know, we have gay couples, lesbian couples, you know, trans. You know. The collegiate churches have always been open and affirming anyway. They, they have a history of it anyway, so. When I moved up to um, Washington Heights with my spouse, you know, we're looking for a church home. You know, and we walking by, we saw Fort Washington Collegiate, and we said, "We come in one Sunday. We, you know, see what it is. You know, if we like it, fine. If we don't, we'll find some place else." You know, walked into the Sunday service. I was dressed in a suit. <laughs> I wasn't now because I wasn't quite sure how to at that time. So I said, "Let me play it." conservative. Mm. Then we went in, you know, we enjoyed it, you know, and we looked at each other and said, wow, I felt like I was home. And that's, with me, I've been to some great places, you know, but it usually took me a while to really adjust to it, but this I felt right at home. You know, that was, that was unusual for me. I count on one hand how many times it's happened to me. Wow. Mm. So that was a particularly positive experience? Yes, it was quite. It was quite a positive experience. Were there other moments of community where you uh, have these memorable moments of feeling at home in a certain space or feeling particularly like you belonged? Uh, I think when I transitioned, I kind of felt more. Because I never knew I was trans. I was, it was hidden from me. It was flat out hidden from me. I always knew that I felt different. I never knew why I felt that way, but I always knew I felt different. It's something that didn't bother me 24-7. You know, I didn't have the dysphoria or the stress, you know, or people getting on my case because, you know, you know, I walk like a woman or whatever, you know. You know but I, I, I always felt that difference. And no matter how close I got to other people, you know, it was always that sense of detachment. I always felt that the sense of detachment. You know, I, I belonged, but then again, I didn't feel that I did belong. That was the feeling that I had. And 
I didn't stress about it, but times I did wonder why I felt that way. And I never ever tied it to gender. Never ever tied it to gender. When did that start shifting? Or do you remember moments of starting to make that connection between that feeling and trans community or um, political moments of trans visibility? I think it started like, I say when 2000 came. And more maybe going into 2001, possibly 2002, I really felt the shift. It started to, started to ramp up a little bit. It started to go in this way. Still didn't know why. Hmm. Uh, I remember a couple times I, for no reason, almost lashed out at people. I never did that. You know, it, that started to bother me. That, that really started to scare me. You know, you lash out something you don't know what. And that started to scare me. And I, I was saying to myself, what, what's going on? And things are starting to happen inside. Still didn't know what. I said, what's going on? And I said, oh, wow. So I had to kind of guard myself a little bit because I didn't want to destroy any relationships that I had. You know, all because I, I said something, you know, just lashed out for no reason. And I'd say from 2002, maybe to 2004, it, it, was, it was a struggle. It was, I saying to myself, I wanted to break out, but I break out to what? You know, I didn't know what Things were going on inside me, didn't know what it was, I didn't know why it was, and that was the part that was scaring me. I said, why do I feel this way? Why am I behaving like this? You know, I, you know, at times I just went to bed crying. I just I just didn't know. You know, if I knew, that was one thing, but I flat out didn't know, you know. And I never shared it with my spouse, I never did, because this, this is just a private battle. Because I didn't understand it. How, I didn't, how could she understand it? Who were the people who started to give you, to answer some of those questions, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, I had, I started reading about sexuality, you know, different things about it. And, I think 2004, New Year's Eve, I had a heart attack. You know, then I had heart surgery. Mm. And then I was home, my wife was working, you know, I could handle it. She went back to work, you know. I was, I guess, maybe about March 2005, I could be alone, you know. I, you know, I had a routine, you know. And I'd take all my medicines, I could take a nap, you know, everything, you know. And, I just had desire, I just felt desire, I wanted to be a woman. Mm -hmm. I had never had that before. I said, wait, whoa. I said, wait a minute. I just, it was, it was strange. I, I never tried on clothes, feminine clothes when I was a kid. Never had that desire, I never did that. It was just a strange thing. Then I started reading things about it. I thought I was weird, so I looked on the internet. I said, you know, and found out that a lot of people have those Things so in that aspect they brought me some comfort. Then um, about maybe June of that year, I just got the impulse to try on a skirt. You know, it's like when your kids, no kids, dare you to do something, you do it, and then it just the <laughs> urge just passes. So I said, let me. After weeks of putting it off, I said, wait a minute, let me do it. Do it, then the urge will pass. <laughs> and I was wrong there. <laughs> wow. It just ramped, it just, you know, I tried on a skirt, I tried on a blouse, I tried on a dress, you know, the whole nine yards, and it just ramped. 
it just like that wheel, you know, once that wheel goes downhill, it doesn't stop. <laughs> I said, whoa. <laughs> and it just kept going and kept going and kept going. How did it feel the first time in that first moment of like putting on the skirt or seeing yourself in the skirt? I liked it. I liked it. It it felt good. I really liked it. Now then I started buying my own my own panties and everything. Yeah, but it, it really felt good. I, I really enjoyed it. Still didn't know why at the time that that would come, you know. But I just enjoyed it. I felt more relaxed. So under my work clothes, I wear panties, you know. On occasion, I wore a bra. You know. Nobody found out, you know, with the bra, you know, nobody found out. My shirt, my shirt was bulky enough, you know, that nobody really noticed. But I felt different, you know. I felt, I felt more relaxed. And were there moments that that journey transitioned from? I mean, you mentioned the internet and finding some comfort there, and mm. then obviously the personal journey you were on. Yeah. I started a blog, you know, because I had a lot, there's a lot in me and I had needed to write it down. I started a blog back then, you know, writing all my feelings down, what I was feeling. Sometimes I was up to two, three in the morning. Ah. I had so much in me. And by the time I went to bed, I was totally exhausted. I still had to get up for work. <laughs> so I had, but I needed to do that, you know, I just couldn't let this explode, explode, and it, it, and it helped me a lot just put it out, and just put it out on, on a blog paper, you know, I got some responses, you know, then, I think in, also in June, I went to um, a place called Identity House, I went there, got a little counseling, found out it was real to me. I, I just told them everything, everything I was feeling, left no stone unturned. And then after they talked, you know, they said I was a cross-dresser. At the time, I was cross-dressing, you know. When I left, I was kind of stunned. I was so, oh, wow. You know, then I said, how am I gonna, I was figuring out I was gonna tell my wife. I said, oh, no. So I kind of went into denial. I went into denial, I said, oh, it's all gonna pass. It's just a phase. But as days went on, I said, this wasn't a phase, it just wasn't. And, you know, I bought my own underclothes, stuff like that, you know. I used to go to the center, you know, Friday nights I'd go to their dress, go to their dress. You know, I, Friday night after work, I used to like to hang out in the <laughs> village again. <laughs> I'm a village thing. I'm a village guy, a person, I guess. You know, you know, I go there, dress up a couple hours. You know, it, just a couple hours, just being dressed. You know, it, it made all the difference in the world. Mm -hmm. Then I was working, and then my wife called me. Found told me she found some of my stuff. I said. So I had five hours to think of what I was going to tell her. Wow. I said, well, I was going to tell her sooner or later because I didn't want anything, you know, God forbid something happened to me and she'd have to have, try to explain all that. That wouldn't be fair to her. So I said, well, I'll tell her everything, you know. I was going to tell her later, but it came sooner. So it was, I went there, told her everything that was going on with me, you know, and she said, it was a shock to her, which I expected. And she said, well, I guess that's who you, who you are, you know. I said, you know, and I had to educate her. I had to educate myself also because this is new to me. Because, I, like I said, I never, I never had any inkling of that in my past life. I had no reference point. I, you know. A lot of people that I meet told me that they said they knew that they were different when they were children. But I had no reference point at all, so I had to educate myself. And it was a relief that I told her. But then a year later, I told my son, you know. So it was a kind of a um, relief telling him, but from then on, you know, I felt that I could be open. 
you know, I told her, you know, I, then I finally admitted to myself that I was a cross-dresser at that time. Were there points earlier in your life when you had also been journaling or in a writing community with other people before you started to blog? Uh, nothing on that. Nothing on that magnitude. Mm -hmm. Nothing to do with gender, you know. Right. I used to write stories, you know, red red stories and short stories I wrote mostly, you know. Some of my thoughts and everything. Mm -hmm. Nothing, absolutely nothing to do with gender. Just everyday life, general life. You know. mm -hmm. Is the blog still online? I still have a blog, yeah. I still <laughs> have it, yeah. Still have it. I've had it since 2005, I believe. Wow. I think that's when I started it. Maybe earlier, I Somewhere around that time, yeah. But you're still writing? Yeah, still write on it. Still write on it, yeah. 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 Is it something you share readily? or? Do yeah, I do. I yeah. do. Because, um, you know, as I, you know, cross-dressed, you know, I enjoy it. But after a while, I found out my feelings ran deeper than just the clothes mm -hmm. I was putting on. Mm -hmm. So I did more research, and then I saw the word transgender. And it's like a light bulb. Mm -hmm. It just connected with me. I said, wow, this is, this is what I am. And very liberating. Oh, it was a very liberating feeling. And it completed me. It, it liberated me because I knew I wasn't alone. I didn't have to be what society said that I had to be. And I felt the piece of the puzzle in my life was put in place. And it, it's just a wonderful feeling that I had. Were there people in your life at that time who you knew who identified as transgender? Mm, no, I didn't know anybody at that time. I was going to a support group at um, the center, and it, it helped, I was going there before I admitted came out mm -hmm. as a. Um, I came out as a um, crossdresser, but going there what helped me was I saw people at different stages. Some, some were questioning like me. Some were had already transitioned, some were transitioning or had thinking about it. So I saw a lot of different expressions of it and that helped me out a lot, you know, because I I knew I wasn't interested in the surgery yet and I couldn't take hormones because I did research on that, you know. Plus I had a heart you know, I had heart surgery, so I said no you know, too many too many factors in there, so I just said no. But I was happy just you know, being a non, non-op transgender, transgender woman. I was happy with that. But I knew people who did transition, you know, and I supported them. And what has it been like in these last years, and this, when this we've been in this moment of particular visibility for trans people and trans issues? It's been wonderful. <laughs> It's been wonderful, it's been exciting, you know, I've you know, all my life like this practically all the time. <laughs> now, it's, it's been very wonderful because I've seen trans people who are coming out into invisible, visible now. You know, um, I point out we don't have to be ashamed of ourselves, this is who we are. But I've said that would, you know, gay, lesbian, whoever, you know, whatever, gent, you know, non-conforming, whoever you choose to be. You know, you don't have to be ashamed of yourself. You know? And I think when I started dressing, I think, I'm somewhat conservative anyway, you know, but I want, you know, we were being, we were being laughed at and everything, and I wanted to present a positive, you know, face to being transgender. Also, there may be somebody you never know there may be somebody out there really struggling. Mm. You know, sometimes you, you know, you, you know, you've heard of the gay dar, I guess there's a trans dar too. <laughs> I think there may be a trans dar, but you know, you know, it might be maybe somebody out there struggling. They may say, hey, this person's out there and they're doing nothing. You know, maybe, maybe somebody, maybe that one little push. You know, or maybe they're starting to question themselves and they say, you never know. You never know who you impact. But then again, you're impacting the rest of society too, you know, because yeah. you're willing to go out there 
willing to go. Now I've gone to the restaurants by myself, stores. I've been to more stores than count. <laughs> um, out in the public, just out in the public. Yeah. And I think that's very important. You know, you have to show yourself visible. And you feel more able to do that as yourself oh, yeah. in recent years? Oh, yeah. I, I went out by myself first, like 2005. And then a year later, I was just walking on the um, pier, Christmas Street Pier. And this overwhelming feeling of contentment, it just swept over me like a, like a flood. You know, I felt comfortable in my own skin. And after, from that point on, I said, Listen, I'm going to go out. I'm going to be who I am. I'm gonna be who I am. You know. Anybody want to know who about me? You know, I've always been open. To, always been open to that. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you want to describe what you're wearing today? Since you said that this is how you dress more frequently now. Well, I wear my hat. <laughs> I wear a hat. <laughs> right now, I'm wearing a, a dress, a long maxi dress. You know, aqua blue and white stripe. Uh, I'm wearing a. Um, What's this called? Shrug, aqua blue. It's my favorite color. This and purple. I never wore purple much before, but I looked at purple. I tried on. I say, yeah, I like this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm wearing a hat. My mother used to wear hats. You know. Yeah. You know how some things you know you take after your mother. I did it. But I, actually, I started wearing hats because one day I was out. It was a hot summer day, and I had my wig on, and my head was sweating, sweating in my head. You know. And then my makeup started. <laughs> my makeup said, wait. So I went somewhere, I bought a hat, you know, put it on to cool my head off mm -hmm. a lot. And then I asked, since then I started wearing hats. You know, you know jewelry, wear a little jewelry, you know, every, you know, a little perfume. Yeah. Lightly. <laughs> Lightly. Yeah. But. We met here at SAGE as part of the Transgenerational Theater Project. And mm -hmm. so this is how I know you, in mm -hmm. blues and matching purples. And yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. you're such a, yeah. I mean, you were speaking about that question of being yourself in the world and younger people or mm -hmm. other people mm -hmm. at whatever stage of recognition or questioning in themselves mm -hmm. or yeah. finding who they are. I know for myself that intergenerational community mm -hmm. spaces over the last few months has been such a yeah space yeah. in which I could see you and other mm -hmm. elders who are mm -hmm. have found yourselves and mm -hmm. I didn't do you know yeah that's yeah, good I mentioned uh, one interview about a year or so ago so it's good when we started this you know I think it's important that you know the elders share what they went through on the other hand, I think it's important for the younger people to know that we were, we're behind them, that we want to know what your issues are, hmm. you know, which are really, we really wanted to know what, what are the things that you face, you know, what are the things that you come up with every day, because I know, you know, either way you got it, whether we're back then or even now, it's not easy, it's not easy, you know, like, you know, and I like to say, what can we do to help? But I've always pointed out that it's just go out and be who you are. You have no, no, there's no, you don't have nothing to be ashamed of. This is who you are. Hmm. That's a, that's the point. I it, it's part of my being, you know, just being, you know, and I encourage everybody to do the same. Hmm. Are there other social movements right now, or or recent moments in history that you've seen yourself as part of or in relationship to this journey for you personally around gender or for the larger transgender movement? Um, well, with the political climate as it is now, yeah, I'm keeping an eye on that. Um, one thing I think is move to erase our contributions, mm. but I'm not gonna let that happen. Because we, you know, we contributed to many things. You know, we, you know, we work, we work, we contribute, we create art, served in the military. Mm. Um, some of us went through a lot of stuff just to be who we are. Mm. 
you know, we, we're in your schools. We've always been here. You know, we've been in schools, been in your schools. We've been in the jobs, we've worked in stores. You know, we travel around the world. We're all over the world. <laughs> so we've been around since uh, people have been on earth. You know, so that's, that hasn't changed, but nobody can say that we never, never contribute because we have. Mm -hmm. you no, know, under, you know, even under the, some of the stressful situations. Mm -hmm. You know, I look at Stonewall, that was one re reason people got tired of the harassment, you know, and people attacking them for who they are. And finally one day they said, no more. I was 20 years old when that happened, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did you hear about it at the time? I was in Long Island at the time, but I heard about it. It was all over the news. Mm. I was in Long Island at the time and the day that it happened. But I came into the city a couple of days later, and I went down to Stonewall to see what happened. I said, place, wow. <laughs> I mean, not only just what had happened there, in the neighborhood that had happened, you know, the village was still, you know, it, was, it wasn't cheap to live here, even back then in 69, it wasn't cheap to live here. But it happened in that neighborhood. But a gut feeling, that said, this is, I thought this was a big thing. It was a turning point. Mm -hmm. Didn't know what it was, but I felt it was kind of a turning point. And as time has gone on, it turned out that it was a turning point. And I'm happy that it happened, you know, because people, people who were out there paved the way where, you know, you and I could be who we are, yeah. you know, and that's not lost on me, you know, people, that's it. I've always said that, always remember the people who came before you because they went through a whole lot more, they went through a whole lot more than I ever did. Mm. You know, they took the chance, you know, they said no more, and, and, and I'm just thankful for them. Do you remember what you saw or heard in Stonewall or the neighborhood when you came back? It was garbage, cans all over. I looked at the Stonewall, it looked like I'd burn out or something like that. Hmm. I just saw the remnants of what, what had gone on. Later on, I did read, I'd read what had happened in the, in the newspapers, I read what had happened. But I went down there and saw it for myself and it made an impression on me. And it needed to happen. It really, you know, I, of course I'm not for, you know, wars or anything, you know, violence. But sometimes you gotta stand up for something. You gotta stand up. Because you, everybody has a right to live their own life. You know, nobody, you know, nobody, everybody has a right to live their own life. Everybody has a right to their own political views. Everybody has a right to whatever neighborhood they live in, whatever job want to trans, whether or not they want to have surgery. It could be any anything. You know, everybody, you know, just how you live your life. A person lives their life. Because I don't know, you know, what my vision is, what I, how I want to live, different from the way anybody else lives. Do you remember words that were being used to describe Stonewall and the news when you were reading or hearing about it? Or the type of people they were saying were part of the event? Mm. I, words. I know liberation was one word I heard. It was called the Gay Liberation Front. I remember that. Liberation was a big word then. And I think probably rights were, you know. Um, I think I remember liberation because, like I said, a lot of things were happening back then. You had the Civil Rights Movement, you had the Peace Movement, you had the Labor Movement. The Women's Movement was burgeoning at that time, you know. You know, looking back when Martin Luther King tried to try, almost brought all these groups together, just yeah. almost you. You know, I say it was so. He brought brought milit the militants groups, you know, and um, the gay movement had 
world version maybe about a year later but you could say maybe it was it, it could have been a part of it or maybe maybe it influenced the game maybe it did I don't know but Stonewall or the civil rights movement I think the civil rights had a lot to do because it was about people's rights mm -hmm. just like with, with African Americans you know it was, you know, they had a right, you know, right to live the way they, you know, live a life. They had a right to vote. You know, the gay people, they had a right to live the life that they want to live without being harassed. You know, so it was intertwined. I thought it was intertwining. Even though they were a while apart, maybe a couple of years apart, it was intertwined. I think the civil rights movement was kind of an example. You know, you, all the great movements, you know, when you, when you had to change things in society has always happened in the street. It always did, you know, the civil rights movement going back years before labor movements. You know, it had to happen because it happened, you know, um, reading the history of all a lot of labor movements, but you can go back in, into um, history, you know, um, maybe in feudal times, you know, when people, it was just, people were tired of their living conditions, you know. People were starving, and the, and the ruling class was just taking what they wanted. They didn't care. Finally, people just got fed up. You know, that's gone through. You know, like I look in France. You know, Bastille Day was a big. It's a big holiday because you know the government, French government was. You know, people were finally starving. The French government didn't care. People just finally said, "Okay, enough." You know, and they knocked the whole thing down. And I look at Stonewall. It just knocked down. Metaphorically speaking, it, it knocked down a whole system of oppression, and it had to happen. It, it was bound to happen. It was bound to happen. And I'm happy that it did happen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is was Stonewall the first moment in your life that you felt that sense of? this is going to change something? Or were there moments from earlier in your childhood or as part of the civil rights movement or seeing African-American figures that... Well, I knew things... I knew things were changed. I didn't know when. Um, no, a lot had to happen. I think a lot had to happen. You, know. you have to present yourself. One thing I've always said with the trans community you know, is you, if people are going to get on your side or help you out, you have to be visible. I've always been about that. I mean, it's scary. It's scary, yeah. Yeah, I'll admit that. It's scary, but you have to be visible. You know, I never criticize people who are stealth. You know, because you know it may not be feasible, and it might be a safety issue. I I, I totally understand that. Yeah. I'm just going to speak from my from the eye position. You know, for me personally, it wasn't an option. I said I have I have to be out there because it's just too much being trashed on, trans women being beat up, even killed. You know, I I had to be. It's something I had to be visible. It's just something. Whatever happened. You know, I'm just thankful that nothing's happened, you know, but I had to be, it's, it's something that I have to do. You know, sometimes, sometimes you have to do some things, whatever the consequences. Mm. I mean, I looked at Dr. King, and I always said with Dr. King, he, he went against the whole system at that time. And he knew that someday a bullet would come. He knew that. And that took a lot of courage. That took a lot. And I said to myself, I don't think I could ever do what he did. But he had that conviction, you know. You know, it was just in him. He just had that conviction. Now me being out, you know, I just it's just my own conviction. I just believe that I have to be out there. And slowly I... You know, I, like I came out to my church five years ago, my whole church, and they accepted me. 
I've come out to a lot of other things. I came out to my brother and my nephew about the time my sister passed. But they told me they already knew. I said, oh, wow. Because <laughs> my sister had told them. I told her over a year, year and a half ago before. Mm -hmm. I told her a year and a half ago. And what she shared with me, I, I found that very refreshing. She said somebody on her job was transitioning while they were on the job. Wow. And she said to me, as far as I'm concerned, I have no problem with it. And that was so, that was so refreshing to hear. Do you identify with LGB communities? I do. I do because we suffered the same, we went through the same stuff. You know, there are places, you know, thank God for a place like New York City, but in other countries they kill gay people. You yeah. know, they, you know, some countries they want to obliterate, you know, little's happening in the Chechen. You know, and in other countries too, you know. So, I know there's been a move we want to separate the LGB from the T. Personally, I don't think you can separate it. Simply because we went through the same stuff. I guess uh, it has a lot to do with how much an impact Stonewall had. You know, even though later on they, we were kind of pushed in the margins. But the fact is, is we were there. Yeah. <laughs> the fact is, we were there. You know, nobody can take that away. You know, and I support gay and lesbian causes. My causes, I've always have, always have supported that. But I've had to educate some folks about what it is to be trans, because with LGB, it's it's do with with your sexuality. You know, with transgender, it has to do with identity and expression. You know, and you know, my and I'm and I'm an expression. You're out there. You know, just like being, being uh, black, you know, I'm out there. Mm -hmm. I know I never hid from that. You know, I was out there, I can't hide from it, you know. Now being trans, I'm out there, I, you know, I can't hide from that. This is, you know, and I'm not going to hide from it, you know, I'm not going to hide from it. You know, I have nothing to be ashamed of, you know. You know, and I, maybe it's just me educating the public. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, just from my... I have a degree in um, childhood education and a minor in English, and I remember my, I remember telling the, his, the chairman of my department, he said, I may not necessarily teach in a classroom in a conventional setting, mm. but I will be teaching in some way, in an unconventional setting, or in unconventional ways, and that's pretty much what's happened. That's pretty much what's you know, doing the theater, you know, transgenerational theater project, you know, doing other things uh, with the moon shows, it's good, you know, queer space, you know. So that's, you know, educating others in a different aspect. What has it been like to be trans and LGB communities or? I personally haven't had any, haven't had any problems, I just, I just enjoy being in the whole thing. I feel, you know, when I go to the center, I'm here. I just feel so comfortable. Mm. You know, I feel very comfortable just being there. I remember a year before I came out as trans, I, well, I used to walk by the center all the time before. I remember a year before I was saying, I wouldn't be caught dead in that place. Wow. <laughs> and then a year later, when I was dealing with my gender issues, that was the place I went. Wow. But it was nice to know that it was there. Because I think about what had happened if I find out that I was trans, say, like back in the early 70s, when there wasn't practically anything. They were, I mean, with the gay, gay and lesbian people, they, at least they had a little bit of something. I, I don't know if trans people had any much of anything. Mm. You know, and I don't, and some of my friends have gone through, oh, no, it's it's a miracle they're alive. Some of them are alive right now, really. Some of the stuff that they went through, and that means a lot to me. That really means a lot to me. I've shared. I said, listen, I've never, I never want any of the things that some of you've gone through. 
but I'm with you. Mm. you know, that, that you can kind of take to the bank. You know, I'm with you. Because you went through a whole lot. You know, some of you maybe lost your life. You think about ending it all. And yet you, you went through all, you know, you survived it. You're here now. You're not a survivor, just a survivor, you're a victor. Mm. You, know, you survive, and you're an example to me. And I've worried, that's why it's so important for me to remember those who came before me. I mean, I mean, some of them didn't, some of them didn't make it. Some didn't make it. But you're willing to go out there and take that chance. You know, and that means a lot to me. You know? and the people and my friends now, you know, I'm so happy for them. Mm. Just so happy for them. What is your relationship with other trans or gender non-conforming people like? Oh, it's been wonderful. We, we, you know, we have our meetings here. You know, and after a while, a few of us go out. We go out to dinner. We talk. You know, just being with each other. You know, when I came to Sage, I came to Sage before, but I wanted to meet more transgender women. And mm -hmm. about the time when I came, you know, they had just started a transgender group for um, women my age. Women my age had just started, so. It, it was perfect. <laughs> you talk about timing. <laughs> and I missed the first meeting because we had a snowstorm. Wow. Yeah, I remember the snowstorm. I said, oh, I said no, no subways were running, so I couldn't get it. So they canceled the meeting. Uh, sure. <laughs> when was that? It was like mm, 2014, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, 14, yeah. Yeah. What are the some some of the relationships that have been most important to you through your life or recently? Well, my trans sisters. You know, I, I just love them. Like my sisters, I, you know, we we're, we keep in touch. You know, whenever something bothers them, I, you know, I, it bothers me. You know, I try to help them out as much as I can. A a few that I'm really close to, you know. I'm really kind of close to. Uh, my wife is accepting now. You know, it took her a while. I knew it was going to take a while. You know, it's still a little tough on her. You know, we do things together. You know, which I'm happy about. You know, we do things together. But you know, at times she worries about me. You know, being out and everything. You know, but you know, she just prays for me. You know, and I have another friend that. You know, I always say when we, she's not trans, but she loves being with trans people. She said, you know, I always say, get home safe. You know, she said, no, you get home safe. She's more worried about me getting home. You know? And, you know, it's just, just the overall LGBT community. I just, you know, I just consider them family. Yeah. What does companionship mean to you or feel like um, well I think my wife and I have gotten a little closer I think it's all she sees that I'm the same person so I always say just a different covering that's all <laughs> but I'm the same person uh, some of my friends you know, friends you know some of us you know we keep in touch you know, we, I saw my talk on the phone fairly regular. You know, when I see some of them hurt, you know, I see some of them hurt, I, I, I know, I empathize with them and see what I can help them. You know, because a lot, of, there are times when, you know, we have our meetings, I love you, you know, sometimes we have, sometimes we have some heavy subjects, you know, mm -hmm. I think about them too. I think about them too, you know, see how they're doing, you know. No, I remember some nights I just laid there two, three in the morning just thinking about what went on. Some of the stuff that we have to go through, it's a little frustrating, you know. Naturally, it's frustrating, but I'm just happy that I know them. I'm just, just so happy that I know them. They're my friends. How does being trans relate to other aspects of your identity? Um, what's that mean? Is, um, As in, 
if if you think there are ways that your gender or your sexuality, your race, your class, your religion, mm-hmm. are there ways that they influence each other? They're just it's just being trans is just part of me. Mm-hmm. It's always up until maybe two thousand five I didn't know I had it. But I always believed in timing. Now it was time for me Genevieve to come out. It was the time. And I'm a believer in timing too, you know, sometimes you may not ready be ready for it. Now I mean I wasn't ready in two thousand. <laughs> I wasn't no, I said, no, nah, I don't think no, I wasn't ready in two thousand. Just like with a lot of things in mm-hmm. life, sometimes you may not be ready for it at that particular time, but the time when the time right time comes, you'll be ready. Mm-hmm. But that's been everything about you know about my whole about all life in general. I think a life in general, race, gender, sexuality, um, anything else, you know, education, even you know. Yeah. Like, I went back to college when I was 54. Wow. Yeah. I've been in junior college, but I couldn't go because there's problems in my family, but I promised my mother that I would get my education. Mm-hmm. Well, and I did. I did. She never lived to see it, but I, it's a promise I was going to keep. Wow. And, you know, so it was it was the right time. Good time. Mm. Some 30 years later. <laughs> yeah. After she had told you thirty or so years before, the world's gonna change, yeah. right? Yeah, it did. The world did change. <laughs> it was a good piece of advice, and I thank her for it. You know, because mm. you know, because the world it did change. You know, not sometimes it was a little fast. You know, other times I gradually saw it. When I left in the military, I was I had a feeling that things were going to change. I, I just had the feeling. You know, by the end of that year, I said, I looked at it as like a chapter in a book. Mm. You know, because all the people who were heroes and all that. I think that the defining moment was in July of 71, mm. when Jim Morrison and the Doors had passed. Mm. When I heard that he had died. And then I just had the sense this chapter in my life was ending. And by the end of the year, that chapter had ended. Not just just that whole particular era, you know, like say from maybe like '67 through '71. Yeah, that was a year a lot of growth for me. I saw I saw a lot of things outside of what I would see. I saw a lot of things, you know. I saw you know the highs, you know, just being out there. I saw the lows and all the assassinations mm-hmm. and how it affected people how it really affected people. And I saw the concerns of other people, like the anti-war movement, you know, the, you know, trying to understand the women's movement and the gay movement at that time, you know. And then understanding the whole world, the world as a whole, how everything worked. Mm. You know, and so it was kind of like an informal education for me. At times it was very painful. It was very painful. But it was something I had to go through. I needed to go through. So by the time I got out of service, I was kind of, okay, this is what happened, and this is what I'm faced with now. So I could better handle it, you know, getting back to the timing thing, you know, I could handle it now. Mm. Now I was 25 when I got out. I don't think I could handle it when I was 22, or something like that. I don't think I could have handled it. Mm. I'm 25 now as I'm interviewing you, so I'm oh, thinking okay. for myself yeah, about yeah. typing and listening uh, to yeah, the story yeah. and mm-hmm. um, where I stand in these movements mm-hmm. and with my yeah. communities. Yeah. Um, what's a moment that you're proud of? One moment I'm proud of is when I came out to my religious community. I had wanted to do it before, you know. Uh, the senior minister at that time shared, well, I think his, his wife told me, you know, that when he came to the church, you know, he was going to make it 
open and affirming mm. and like 70 families left just totally left the church he took a chance he took a chance he was going to be open and affirming and he was a very warm very warm person you know? I told him I told him almost immediately that I was trans I never did that <laughs> I never I never wanted to ever tell him I'm trans <laughs> I, said, no. I never even told him you know, the way I had to tell my wife you know <laughs> yeah. but I felt safe I felt very comfortable I'd come to him and he told me he said listen that's okay and I, th I was going to come out I think it was about March of that year. Mm. But then I thought about Pride coming up in June. I thought that would be a perfect time. And it was. It was the first Sunday in June. I I came in like this. Wow. Yeah, I wore, I had worn a suit. I came in dressed as Genevieve. Some people picked it up right away. Others didn't. Matter of fact, one of the assistant ministers, he didn't, he was, he didn't even know. <laughs> And then I remember one particular moment where we were talking to one of the ladies, you know, my wife talking to the ladies, and the lady said to my wife, where's your husband? He said, he's standing right here. She looked at me so shocked. <laughs> but it, that was, that was such an affirming moment. That was one I remember. I'll always remember that. Yeah. Because church has always been part of my life. You know, I grew up, grew up in there, you know, everything. It was part of, always been a part of my life. And just to be who I was in my spiritual community, it meant all, it meant the world to me. Did you feel seen in that moment, or is there another moment? I did, I did. From that moment on, I did, I did. There were other moments too, um, when my wife went with me while I was like this. You know, times she didn't feel comfortable, wouldn't even go. And then the day came when it happened. I was happy about that. Right? Yeah. That was another one that I was happy about. Yeah. There were some small, those two I remember the most. Those two I remember the most. Hmm. Yeah. I feel like we could keep talking, but I they're serving dinner at Sage right now. So <laughs> I, maybe I'll ask just a couple more questions sure. to wrap sure. up and sure. um, we can have a bite to eat. Okay. How do you feel right now in your body or your heart or your head? Uh, um, the person that I'm supposed to be. Yeah. Never been happier in my life. Mm. I've never been happier. Mm. Yeah. If you wanted to be remembered for one thing, what would it be? Mm. Um, I made a difference. I tutored, um, I used to tutor students uh, getting their GEDs. I remember the training that we took before that. And I had written down that I, w I wanted to make a difference. I was 50 years old when I said that. And I still want to make a difference. It's still my mantra. Like, I want to make a difference. No matter how big or how small, you know, just want to be a, that difference maker in somebody's life. I think that's a beautiful note to wrap on. So I don't have another question, but is there anything you wanted to add? Yeah, I encourage everybody to be who you are. Be who you are and don't let others define who you are. You define who you, who you want to be. Define yourself. Is there anyone else you know who might be interested in participating in this project and being interviewed? I'll have to ask. Yeah. I'll have to ask. Okay. I'll have to ask. Yeah. I'm sure there's some people who'd love yeah. to yeah, I'm pretty sure have there those are. stories. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there are. Yeah. Thank you, Genevieve. Thank you.